Woodrow Wilson told the story of being in a barber shop one time. I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware that a powerful personality had entered the room. A man had come quietly in, in upon the same errand as myself to have the hair cut and sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered, though it was not in the least didactic, in other words, teaching, showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him, that was cutting his hair. And before I got through with what was being done to me, I was aware I had attended an evangelistic service because Mr. D.L. Moody was in that chair. I purposely lingered in the room after he had left and noted the singular effect that his visit had brought upon the barber shop. They talked in undertones. They did not... They did not know his name, but they knew something had elevated their thoughts. I felt that I had left that place as I should have, a place of worship. The point is is this, that when it comes to how a Christian should interact with the world, we should be salt and light. There should be a noticeable difference on, our beha- on the way that we behave and the aura that we leave compared to the average person who is an unbeliever. And so that's what I would challenge you with today. Are we really salt and light? Are we really that different? Now again, it says you. It's in the emphatic. And it's in the plural. You are. By the way, that doesn't mean that we become. It means that we are already. We are salt. We are light. The only question is, what type of salt, what type of light? Now, if you think about it, there's a major contrast between us who are saved and those who are unsaved. And we've often, often highlighted the contrast. I mean, think about the, the radical changes that have taken place in our lives as we have received Jesus Christ. I, I love that song, by the way. You know, give up the world, give, just give me Jesus. I wonder if that is true of us. We can say that so easy, but we won't know that until, until you're called home, right? And, and your treasure's no longer here. This is not where you can... Anyways, the contrast, the contrast. Think about our nature. We were dead, now we're alive. We were deceived, but now we have eyes of understanding, being enlightened, Ephesians 4. We were alive to sin, now we're dead to sin. We were hopeless, 1 Peter 2, but he's called us out of darkness. As to our master, it used to be sin, but now we are a slave of righteousness. See, we have a growing desire to escape uh, Satan's rule and be put under God's rule. That's how it should be. I mean, we should have a growing desire to want to put ourselves under Christ's standard, his values. Think about our mind. It used to be futile, Ephesians 4. And our understanding was darkened. It was alienated. It was ignorant. It was blind. It was past feeling. It was insensitive. We, couldn't, we could not grasp truth. We just couldn't grasp it. And when we did go to uh, truths, as it were, we always went to the lewd and unclean and greediness. I mean, it... It's just the opposite. He brought us out of darkness. He brought us into light. 
In fact, I love what Jesus said in John 17. It says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. That's what Christ prayed. He didn't say take them out of the world. Leave them there. But Father, and strengthen them. Just protect them from the evil one. I don't know who... I don't know what situations you have in your life, but Christ is not necessarily trying to rescue from that situation. He's trying to empower you through that. That's 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 12. And we have to embrace that. Look at verse 16. Well, you're not there, but verse 16. John 17, verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. You start seeing, see, I've sent them into the world. I've sent them into the world for a purpose. What's the purpose, Lord? So that we should be salt and light. And then He plants you. For some of you, He plants you in a federal building. And He says, listen, I want you to be salt and light. Or in a family. Or as a parent. Or as an independent entrepreneur. Whatever it is. I don't know where God's planted you. But wherever God's planted you, you need to be salt and light. You are salt and light. The question is, how good are you? Right? I mean, are you good? Are you fulfilling your task of being salt and light? Because you are representing Him. So the first thing is, there's a contrast. There's a huge contrast between true Christians and non-believers. And again, the second fact is, it's an absolute fact. It it is a fact that we are, and I'm going to highlight the word are, are salt and light. Not something that we are commanded to do. See, this is... This is not a command. This is an indicative. This is just a fact. You're salt and light. Benny, you're, a salt, you're salt and light. I don't know where Benny is. There he is. And depending on how... By the way, I'm not picking on Benny, but it's good to see you here. Um, but we're all salt and light if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're salt and light. Unfortunately, many of us have been tainted. It's like when uh, Paul says in Ephesians 5.23... The husband is the head of the wife. He's not saying, listen, I want you to become the head of the wife. He said, you're already the head of the wife. Now, now make sure that you live up to what the standard is. Right? When Jesus said that you are salt, you are light, He was simply stating a fact. Having been brought into the family of God and made alive by the Spirit of God, it is a fact that we are the only salt and the only light in this world. We're the only ones. The only issue open to question is whether or not we are permeating. You know, are we that permeating salt and penetrating light in a dying world? That's the only question. Are we doing what God wants us to do? See, I'm not taking them out of the world. Christ didn't pray to have us taken out of the world. Father, keep them from the evil one. It starts to be very clear what, what our Lord's plan for us. Go conquer. In other words, show the world truth. Show the world that I am the way, the truth, and the life. So not only is it an absolute fact, but number three, it's our only hope. You. Again, it's in the emphatic form, which means that believers are the only persons in our culture who can truly be salt and light to it. Unless God's people are salt and light, the work of retarding moral corruption and dispelling spiritual darkness will not get done. And when we're talking about that, we're not trying to be kingdom builders and kingdom builders in the sense of trying to set up God's kingdom here what I'm trying to say is this uh, salt has a tendency to stop uh, ungodliness and light exposes truth and, and and that's where you get into the gospel 
See, it's not just about stopping and retarding ungodliness. It's presenting truth. That He is the way, the truth, and the life. That our, that our only hope is in Christ. And our only treasure is Him. That's where it gets hard. Our only treasure is Him. Because we have many treasures. And the world keeps you know, piling and it almost feels like the world has this shovel and it keeps shoveling out all these trinkets. Hey, maybe I'll catch them with one of these lures. Right? Isn't that what the world does? Here, let me give you some more stuff to be enamored by. That only is going to last for a few years. But, you know, I'm not going to tell you that. You know, that's what Satan does. That's why Christ says, keep him from the evil one. Because he's going to keep throwing out the... uh, He's going to keep throwing out the trinkets, hoping that for many of us, we start, you know, instead of keeping our eyes on the Lord and worshiping Him, we start going like this, oh, aren't they cute? Well, yeah, but they, they don't last. They have no value as far as lasting value. Okay, so we are different. That's the first major point. How about number two? What is the di- distinctiveness of salt? Let me just break down salt and light, because he's using these two things. First of all, salt was very valuable. Now we don't understand that because you can go to the store and buy salt. What, for a buck you can buy like you know a pound of it or something like that. But in that day and age, um, it was a very valuable commodity. Salt shared at a meal symbolized a mutual responsibility of friendship and concern. In other words, when I brought the salt out, it meant I, I considered you very, very important. In fact, uh, the Roman soldiers sometimes were paid by salt. And that's where the you know, little practice, the phrase, you're not worth your salt, came from. Well, now, I mean, what are, you know, that doesn't make any sense in our day and age. If you can buy a, a, thing, a bag of it for a buck, what do you mean you're not worth your salt? Well, but if you worked all day and you were paid in salt, and then as, as you were walking away, the owner said, you're not even worth your salt. You know, what is he saying? He's saying... You know, this is very valuable. I'm giving it to you, but you're not worth it. So the first of the thing is, just in general sense, uh, it's very, very valuable. But let me, get a, let me give you three other things. Characteristics of salt. These are some characteristics. First of all, it flavors. It flavors. I, I know some of you are salt fiends, by the way. You know, go over. By the way, do you like salt on uh, watermelon? Oh, oh, so see, see, salt fiends right there. Mark them. <laughs> no, it flavors. I mean, not, uh, steaks, fries, uh, watermelon. I remember growing up, watermelon. Always had to have salt on watermelon. Um, the pleasures of this world are unsatisfying, but salt, we, we, we should bring a satisfaction to this world. And what I mean by that is as far as the things that we do, they should look at us and say, okay, uh, th- they have a, a newness to them. They have something special. Um, sometimes the world looks at us and they just say, eh, boring, self-righteous, hypocritical. Now again, in fact, one, I think he was an emperor. He says, after Christianity became recognized religion, yeah, Emperor Julian lamented. This is what he looked at, and this is how he looked at Christianity. You know, he just looked at Christianity as a whole, and this is, this is how he responded. Have you looked at these Christians closely, hollowed eyes, pale-cheeked, flat, 
breasted. They brood their, their lives away unspurred by ambition. The sun shines for them, but they don't see it. The earth offers them its fullness, but they desire it not. All their desire is to renounce and suffer that they may come to die. In other words, the way he looked at it is they just want to be martyrs. Now, I'm not trying to judge the earlier Christians because they did go to the Colosseum, right? But again, even in the midst of suffering, there should be joy and peace, right? There should be a, a, a satisfaction in our Lord that He is enough. He is enough no matter where we find ourselves and what our circumstances are. He is enough, right? Just what we're saying. Give me Jesus. Give me... I love how so many times the music of the day, whatever the worship songs were, blend into a message that I had no idea I was going to preach and I didn't talk to my wife about. But give me Jesus. That really is the theme. So, how does the world see you? How does the world see you? Attractive? Flavorful, if you would? In other words, you have peace, you have joy, you have love in the midst of hate, because the world hates The world is dissatisfied. Do they find a contented person? Do they find someone that really uh, puts value on what is valuable? Because again, we can find ourselves valuing things that aren't valuable. Or do they see us as judgmental, self-righteous, hypocritical? You know, just discontented, hollowed eyes. You know, not living what... John 10.10 says, the abundant life, the abundant. Always with a long face, woe is me, things are tough, depressed. You know, how does the world see us? Now again, I'm not asking to have, you know, lighthearted, happy, 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 uh, you know, everything has to be fun. I'm I'm not advocating that as well. The abundant life, in fact, if you want to see the abundant life, go over to Galatians chapter 5. And, I, and you say, well, how do you know this is the abundant life? Because this is the Spirit-filled life. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians. And again, we'll be right back to Matthew. So, Galatians. Oh, can't find it. There it is. Because it says, walk in the Spirit, verse 16. But the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is what? Love. Now, this is abundant life right here. Love. To really love. To be sacrificial. To not view, to, to, to not have yourself in focus. It's not about me, Lord. It's about you and people. Love, joy, even when the circumstances aren't joyful. Peace. Long-suffering. That means I can do it long-term. This is not just a flash in the pan. Kindness. That's, That's active goodness, even though there's goodness there. Kindness has to do with the active part of it. Faithfulness. Gentle. Let me... Christians, I know that, aren't gentle. They have to have their way. No, it's, it's not about my way. And self-control. Again, it flavor. Boy, you find a Christian like that, that's flavorful. 
You know, boy, because what God will do is put you in a situation where you will go through trials, and there'll be a watching world and watching Christians saying, "How is how is she going to respond? How is he going to respond to this?" Okay, because that's how we are salt, and that's how we are a fragrance. One final second, uh, Second Corinthians chapter two. This is how we are a fragrance to the watching world, to a dying world. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Remember, I think Dathan was here when he preached on this, and I preached on it a number of years ago. There was in Rome what they call the triumph, and if a emperor, or if a general, excuse me, did well in battle, and the emperor wanted to reward the general, what he would do is have a triumph for him. And basically it was going down the streets either of Rome or the triumph, or the city that had been, uh, uh, been taken over. And, and there was a number of things with this triumph. Uh, the captives, the slaves, the, the generals that were taken by, on the other side, the spoils of war. Many times they would have big pictures of the war, the battles, because they, you know, they didn't have Kodak back then or whatever. So you had to have these big pictures and, and uh, photo, not photographs, uh, portraits of, uh, of this is how the battle went. But part of it was also they would take all these flowers, just millions of flowers, if you can imagine this, and they would throw them at the feet of the general, the, the conquering general. And as the general went, you know, and, and all the army and everything went down those streets, can you imagine just being, you know, those rose petals and all the different flowers were being crushed and the fragrance, the aroma, okay, the aroma. And, and, and that's what Paul is getting at here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph, there's the word, in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance, diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. See, we're a fragrance to them, those who are being saved, and, and among those who are perishing. Either way. And so God uses us. And by the way, what has to happen to that rose petal for that, for that fragrance to be released? It had to be crushed. It had to be crushed. So when the, when the rose petal was crushed and there was this wonderful diffusion of uh, fragrance throughout the city, either to the perishing or the, those who are not perishing, to those who are getting saved or to those who are being damned. But again, that's what's happening to us. That's, that's how we are like, in one sense, salt. So that peace, that joy, that caring, that loving, that contentment that we find in the Holy Spirit, that's, that's that word, diffuses the fragrance. You might want to underline that, verse 14 or verse 15, the fragrance of Christ. You have the fragrance of Christ. I mean, how do people respond? Do they know you're even a Christian? Whether it's at your work, your family, I don't know, wherever you interact with, whoever you interact with, do they really know, do they say you're religious or that you're a Christian? That your master is Christ or that your master is something other than Christ, but you just are religious? You just happen to be one of those radicals, okay? But again, we want to be we want to make sure people see the abundant life that, that fragrance is Christ.
that fragrant, I love that, verse 15. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So first of all, it flavors. Number two, it creates a thirst. You make men thirsty. You make men thirsty. Again, non-Christians tend to feel satisfied with life. Or at least he tells himself everything is good and getting better, right? I mean, that's how the unbeliever thinks. But again, as believers, we know that's not true. We know this, that I cannot be satisfied on my own. In fact, Jesus said this in John 7. Just write it down. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What is Jesus saying? You cannot satisfy your thirst without me. Now, people think they can. And even with religion, they will try. And maybe it's bowing down five times a day. Maybe it's giving everything they have at the end of their life. Whatever it might be, they are going to try to be satisfied with religion. But again, Jesus is not saying that. He's saying, listen, if you're thirsty, don't go to Judaism, come to me. Okay? And that's what we have to do. We have to draw people to Christ. The believers come. Now, let's see here. Yeah, we'll skip that for time's sake. Look at verse 38. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So if I'm a true believer and I believe in him, then out of my heart should flow living, living water. It should be not dead water, not stagnant water. There should be a peace and joy, a living water that comes, generated by the Spirit of God. That's the first point. Number, point number two, the primary goal is, out, is not outward reformation, but inward transformation. Again, we're talking about a transformation of the heart. That's the thirst there. When he says, if you're thirsty, come to me, he's saying, listen, I'm not going to reform you, I'm going to transform you. It's going to be inside out. So again, that's true salvation. That's not, that's not just a superficial. Sometimes we get superficial. Oh, I get a little religion. No, this is a total commitment to Christ as Master and Lord, right? We talked about being slaves of Christ a few months ago. Yeah, we are slaves of Him. We're not slaves to ourselves. We are slaves to Him. So, two things. It, salt flavors. Salt creates a thirst. And we should make people thirsty. We should, people should look at each one of our life and say, what does he have? What does he have? What does she have? Because if I was going through what they were going through, or if I had their situation, or I was married to their spouse... How can, they, how can they be so joyful? How can they have peace? How can he be contented? How can he be satisfied? How can he sing? You know, how can he stay committed when everything in him should be going in the opposite direction? So it creates a thirst to be. And then finally, it's a preservative. That's the third, and probably most important one, is a preservative. Salt preserves. It has a preservative nature. The mineral was often used in Bible times symbolically to authenticate a covenant. That's one thing. When when two people wanted to uh, have a covenant between each other, they would use salt. But just the fact of, you know what, salt rubbing into meat, right? Again, they didn't have refrigerators, they didn't have electric. It was a warm climate. Things became rotten very quickly, so what did they need? Salt. 
rub it into the meat so that it could it would be preserved. Now, I think when it comes to preservative, there's a couple errors out there. When it comes to salt, sometimes we think this. The world is getting better. The world is getting better. But again, the idea of salt means, no, no, it's, it's getting worse. We need more salt, not less. And that's exactly what 2 Timothy Chapter 3 says, but evil men and impostors, this is 2 Timothy 3.13, but evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse. From bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. It's not going to get better, it's going to get worse. And so, Christians who are the salt need to understand that it's not going to get easier, it's going to get harder. It's going to get more wicked. Worser and worser. Yeah, going to get worse. It's a downward spiral. We looked at, we've looked at Romans 1 many times, right? But it's desperately wicked. Modern man has more and more ways to just express his depravity. That's all it is. So it's going to get worse. And, but the thing is, is this. What happens? Should we be retreating? See, that's the other error. Well, if it's going to get worse, do we retreat? You know, find a monastery... Us four and no more. Oh, I just can't wait to get to church. Isolation. Is that the solution? No. No, no. We need to be rubbed into our situations. Now think about salt, meat. Unless that salt gets to the meat, it's not going to be preserved. Right? It's got to be there. And you've got to rub it in. And it's got to be a, have a pre, uh, preserving effect. Well, let's say that about you and, and all your situations. So we get you to work, and we're going to take you, your salt, everyone else is rotten around you, and we're going to rub you into that situation so there's a preserving effect. You get the picture? And how about the family? Yeah, they're rotten too. No, don't tell them I said that. Um, but the point is, it is true, if they need Christ. So you're a preserving effect. And I'm not saying this, oh... John's here, stop swearing. What I'm saying is, they need to see us and say, you know, he has, she has, they have something I don't have. And I want it. Makes me thirsty. It's a preserving of influence. In fact, that might be the key word, influence. We need to be rubbed into our work, rubbed into the family, rubbed into the politics of the day, as it were. We need to be the influencers. See, we are the preserving influence in the world, and as we live godly and proclaim the gospel, we will actually help slow the moral and spiritual decay down. That's true. We're going to slow it down. But that's not the main point. Actually, whereas salt is more, let's see here, salt is more passive. It's more behind the scenes. What I'm saying is this, once the... If you put salt in the meat before it gets rotten, it will preserve it, right? But once it gets rotten, you can't, nothing's going to salvage that meat, right? I mean, once that deer's been out in the sun for two weeks, I don't care how much salt you come along, right, Lena? You don't want the deer, Lena? Okay. Uh, right? You can't, you can't salvage it. You can't reverse it. Now, I'll tell you what can reverse it, though. There's something else. It's not just salt, but there's light. Now, light transforms. 
You see the difference there? Light is more proactive. Light can take something that is dead and bring it to life. Right? Jesus said, I'm light of the world. I am the light of the world. I'm the one. Okay? So, so let's go to the, uh, not only look at salt, but now let's look at light, knowing that there's a difference. In fact, one man wrote it this way. The quality of spiritual light possesses some definite contrast to spiritual salt. Light depicts divine truth being directly communicated. That's what light is, directly communicated, whereas salt is indirect influence. Light works mostly through the proclamation of truth, while salt works indirectly through how we live. Light generally has a more positive ministry than salt does. Light uncovers what is sinful and false, and it points towards what is righteous and true. That's what light does. In contrast, salt is primarily negative, able to slow corruption, but unable to change it into incorruption. It can't do anything for the deer. That deer is going to be ate up by the coyotes, right? So that's the difference. There's an indirect, direct relationship. So let me give you a few things on light. First of all, the source is Christ. Jesus said, I am the true light in John 1.9. I'm the true light in a number of passages. In fact, we are told, not only is He the true light, but for us, He tells us, walk as children of light in Ephesians 5.8. Walk. I'm I'm leaving you in the world. I'm not taking you out of the world. I'm just going to pray that the evil one doesn't, doesn't destroy your testimony. That's what I'm going to pray for. But then he tells us this, walk as children of light, Ephesians 5.11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't have any fellowship with that. But rather expose them. So we are called. That's active. You should speak truth. You should speak up against the culture. Especially when the culture is veering into ungodliness. That's right. Don't become passive at this point. Become active. So again, light exposes darkness, it refutes it, it reveals truth. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, actually 10, verse 4, in 2 Corinthians 10, boy, my mouth is getting dry, I'm sorry. I have to take out my pink. It says, the we- 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshly, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now, I only bring you here because it says it's not fleshly, but mighty in God. That's what we're doing. That's the weapons of our warfare. What's our weapons of our... I don't have a sword here. I don't have a gun here. What's the weapons of our warfare as Christians? It's truth. It's truth. I've got to know the book. That's how, that's how uh, we pull down strongholds. In fact, that passage right there is the best passage on spiritual warfare you can find. You know, when you talk about spiritual warfare... In our day and age, there are so many whacked out people out there that say they're Christians. You know, spiritual warfare, you know, casting down Satan and all this other stuff. No, that's right there is spiritual warfare. 
Spiritual warfare is when you have truth and someone else has error and you go and you expose their error. That's spiritual warfare. And so you might want to write down Ephesians 5, 8 through 11. That's living up to our calling. Having the Word of God in my heart so I can expose the evil and the ungodly and the darkness that is all around us. So that's a little snapshot of salt and a little snapshot of light. Let's just, let me just give you one last thing here. The challenges of being salt and light. Because there are challenges. Let me give you three of them. First of all, number one, though we cannot lose our essence, we can lose our usefulness. Though we cannot lose our essence, we can lose our influence or usefulness. So you can't lose your salvation, but you can lose your effectiveness and your assurance. And, and you see this right here with Christ. Again, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out, this is verse 13, and trampled underfoot by man. And that's what they used to do. See, when, when salt was pure, it was very valuable. You could even get it in payment for service rendered. But let's say there was gypsum, there was some impurities that happened to get into that salt. Now that salt was no longer good for anything. Because you couldn't, you, you couldn't take the, deca- uh, the, the contaminants out. There was no way to take it out. So what do you do with it? I mean, you're not going to hand a guy a, a salt shaker and they start pouring it on and they start eating their watermelon and all of a sudden, it doesn't, what is this? Oh, I'm sorry, but some gypsum got thrown in. No, it's, it's good for nothing but to be thrown away. It's contaminated. The flavor is no longer able to, well, not only, the, but even the usefulness, the effectiveness. See, it's a purity issue at that point, right? It's not pure. If the salt is not pure, what, what is it good for? Okay, and, and you can bring this right over in your own life. If, if you're contaminated by the world, then you're not salt, and, and you're good for nothing as far as, and I hate to say it so harsh, but that's how the Lord's saying it. What? You, you're not going to be able to be used by God. It's that simple. To be used by God, I have to stay pure. Thankfully, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. So, this salt, we want to make sure we stay pure. We don't want to lose the essence of the purity. And again, what they would do is trample on our foot of men. The only thing that would be left, you know, they would take this salt that was impure, contaminated, and they would just use it and they would just throw it down the path. So let's say you had, you know, one man's garden here and one man's field here. And, to, you know, that would kill, that salt would kill, um, you know, the weeds and stuff in the past. So and that was the only thing it was good for. That's verse 13. Number two, this is the other thing that can happen. This is not salt, this is light. See, our light, our salt can be contaminated, but our light can become hidden. Hidden. And you, and you have to drop down, let's see verse 14. You, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. I mean, that's so foolish. Why would you light a light and then put it under a basket? No, you don't want to do that. But on a lampstand, that's what you do with a light, and it gives light to all who are in the house. 
So with salt, it becomes contaminated. Are you pure? Number two, light can become hidden. Have you hidden your light? Or are you available? Or, or, or have you hidden your light because, oh man, they might be offended. We hear that so often. You know, if I share the gospel, they might be offended. Well, let me tell you, when they stand before the Holy of Holies on Judgment Day, right? They will melt. And do you know that, I want you to think of something. Do you know who the torturer throughout eternity is? Who's the one that's causing the pain to all those who have not re- of all those who have rejected Christ? Who is it? Who? No, Christ. Christ is the one in control, not Satan. Satan himself is thrown in the lake of fire. He's not the jailmaster. He's one of the inmates. No, I, I'm, I'm afraid we forget who Satan is. Satan is the defeated foe. Christ is the one who judges. Christ is the one who's been given authority by the Father. And Christ is the one who's going to, throughout eternity, have judgment on the person who has rejected him. So when someone uses Christ's name in vain, remember, he is swearing at the one who holds the key. So we have to be careful. During the reign of Oliver Cromwell, there was a shortage of currency in the British Empire. Representatives carefully searched the nation in hopes of finding silver to meet the emergency. I don't know if you know the whole story of Oliver but, uh, Cromwell, but after a month, the committee returned with its report. This is what they said. We have searched the empire in vain, seeking to find silver. To, to our dismay, we found uh, none anywhere except in the cathedrals where the statues of the saints are made of the best silver. To this, Oliver Cromwell eloquently answered, let's melt down the saints and put them into circulation. I don't say, well, but I love that. I love that. We need to melt down the saints and put them into circulation. Because sometimes we just, us four no more and we're okay right here, right? No, that's not what Christ wants. Hey, listen, I'm not going to keep them out of the world. I'm going to thrust them into the world. So the first thing is we can lose our, uh, though we cannot lose our essence, we can u- uh, lose our usefulness. Number two, though we, can, though we can make some impact as individuals, we make greater impact as a body. Because notice, it's plural. You are the salt. Plural. You are the light. They're plural. Plural. What is he saying? Oh, soul is going to do good at being able to evangelize. But if we all work together as a church, then we have even greater impact in the Alfred Allman Hornell Canisteo area. That's why it is so damaging. And I get so frustrated. I believe the Lord is so frustrated when... People will leave a church, whether it's Alfred Allman, they leave a church and then bang on that church. You know, what a bunch of, you know, what a, what a bunch of ungodly, and, da, 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 you know, and bang on the people of that church. Can you see how that destroys the testimony of the church? See, it destroys exactly because what, what, what Christ is saying is, you plural are the salt, you plural are the light, and you work in plural. And when you leave, if you want to leave, fine. But leave graciously. Don't leave ungodly. Don't leave in that way. Because that destroys the work of Christ. See, you're not destroying my work or our work. You're destroying His work. 
And then finally, again, why are we salt and light? Well, look at verse 16. To glorify our Father in heaven. That's why we do it. That's why we're salt and light. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let's bow for prayer. Father, again, I pray that you would give us wisdom now as we prepare our hearts for communion. Father, again, I thank you for your word that is very clear. Help us be quick to confess, to repent. Thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive when we do confess. Lord, thank you that you cleanse us. And thank you that you take your word and you are the one that applies it to our hearts by the power of your spirit, that we are not in control of even how it is applied in one sense, but that your spirit so marvelously will actually point things out in our life that needs to change. And I pray that you would give us a sensitivity as we come before this table, that we would come in a worthy manner, not in an unworthy. Because we know that there were Christians, true Christians who were being judged, true Christians who were literally dying because they were not taking the Lord's table seriously. I pray that we would take it serious. In Jesus' name, amen.